Welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Thank you for tuning into the show. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer or endurance enthusiast, you have come to the right place to be inspired, encouraged, motivated and entertained by the sporting endeavours of our guests. So much has happened across the world in the last two weeks with the escalation of the COVID-19 pandemic worldwide. It's hard to know whether I am coming or going and I'm sure there are many of you who will be directly or indirectly affected by COVID-19 across your work, sporting and general life. For me personally, many of the announcing jobs and event work has been put on hold for the next few weeks as race directors and event organisers make very difficult decisions on the best course of action for their events, their participants and their own event teams. Lots of races and events have been postponed and in some cases they have been cancelled completely. A difficult time for race directors, athletes and those involved in the delivery of the events directly. But this is where we find ourselves and there are many people who will suffer because of this pandemic and are in a much worse position than I am. So I'm going to remain positive about what the next few weeks will bring and where it may lead me. There has to be a bright side to all of this at the end of the day and maybe we will get more shows recorded and released as a result of all the free time I have. I am going to use my voice to help brighten up your day and that of the people who follow me on social media. I'm so grateful of the opportunity to be part of your life as a listener of the podcast and hope you will continue to tune in over the coming weeks and months and look forward to this little ray of positivity in your ears as we roll through new routines and social norms as a result of this pandemic. If you're feeling uncertain, worried or anxious, check out the article I wrote on finding your comfort zone in an era of COVID-19. It's up on trytalkingsport.com. I've received some great feedback on the article and it may resonate with you too. Please also feel free to reach out to me directly, even if it's just to say hello and check in. I'm always up for the chats and sure I could do with the distraction too, to be honest. And you know what? Maybe we'll have a bit of a laugh. So speaking of laughing, on to some positive tones for today's episode. Thank you so much to everybody who completed our survey. We had a great response to it and I'm delighted to announce that we have randomly selected our winners of the coveted Try Talking Sport Bobble Beanie Hats. Congratulations to Finn O'Mara from Ballinan, County Mayo, Brian Cullinan in County Clare and Megan Granich in sunny California. Well done and thanks for taking the time to complete the survey. We are a truly global show. Did you know? Yep, people are tuning in from all over the world. Now, for those of you who are at home going stir crazy, looking to keep your fitness on track or maybe want to start getting into a new routine, want to check out our selfie isolation challenge. Yes, that is a selfie isolation challenge. You can sign up on the website on www.trytalkingsport.com and simply commit to completing 30 minutes of physical activity every day. There are no trackers, no targets, just you and a timer. You will be supported and encouraged by others with our mini challenges posted in our private Facebook group. Sign up today. It's free and fun. And you know what? We could all do with a sprinkling of that these days. Before I introduce today's guests, I almost forgot to mention we are just about to hit 20,000 downloads of the podcast. In fact, this episode is going to push us right over 20,000. So thank you so much to all of our guests and to all of you for tuning in. You're flipping legends. I absolutely love it. We now know as of yesterday, the 24th of March, that the 2020 Tokyo Olympics have been postponed amid fears of the coronavirus. When I recorded this episode with Eve McChrystal and Katie George Dunleavy two weeks ago, things were beginning to progress with regards to COVID-19. Schools in Ireland had been closed and we were being encouraged to practice social distancing, work from home and of course continue to wash our hands. Things have escalated quite quickly since then. 
for this episode. Eve McChrystal and Katie George Dunleavy joined me remotely, having just completed a long bike ride as part of their build-up to Tokyo 2020. We chat about their background in sport, their success as a duo, and the commitment, passion and dedication to not only their sport, but their individual roles as part of a dynamic duo of female athletes chasing their sporting goal with a clear, focused and very resilient attitude. Already, these outstanding powerhouses have more silverware than many of us can only dream of, with a medal haul that would fill a treasure chest twice over. Katie and Eve won gold in the time trial in Rio Paralympics 2016 and silver in the road race. Since then, they have successfully become world champions in both 2017 and 2018, in both time trial and road race. In 2019, they became world champions again in the time trial and won silver in the road race. In January of this year, they broke their own national record and went on to win silver in the women's tandem pursuit at the Paracycling Track World Championships in Canada. The news of the postponement of the 2020 Olympics didn't come as a surprise. And in a statement on her Facebook page, Eve said, So this is our new reality. Katie is in Ireland at the minute and has been since before the pandemic. We got the news together today about the postponement of the Games and had our own little chat about how we feel about the whole thing. It is the best decision all round that the Olympics and Paralympics be postponed until 2021. The health and welfare of every individual in the world is way more important than any sport. As athletes, of course, it is disappointing because you work so hard for a specific goal. But isn't it great that the dream stays alive, just put on hold for 12 months? Both of us will use this extra time to get fitter and stronger and make the most of the time we have together. Now, back to today's show with our tenacious, dedicated and passionate role models, I think you'll enjoy this insight into their lives. Katie and Eve, thank you so much for joining me today. 130 kilometres cycled so far on this uh, bright Sunday in March. We are on heightened alert for COVID-19, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep the Try Talking Sports show on the road. Katie, so lovely to have you on the show. Tell me, how did you end up as part of the uh, Irish paracycling team along with Eve as your pilot? I competed in many sports when I was a child growing up and I was rowing uh, for Great Britain in 2004-2005 until around 2010. I actually had quite a difficult time um, in the squad. I did become two world champion twice, but after that it was actually a real struggle in terms of um, injury and support. And it was in 2011 I tried out for the um, – well, I, I – I um, came over for the para rowing um, squad in, in, in a hopes to compete in London 2012. And I missed out on selection for the World Championships in 2011. Um, and that's when the, the cycling coach, paracycling coach at the time, Brian Nugent, approached me to ask if I would like to try out, consider cycling. And um, that was the start of uh, me me cycling. So I'm eligible to compete for Ireland um, through my dad. My dad's from Donegal. Donegal, beautiful part of the country. I've cycled quite a bit of it myself. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And I had um, all my, my holidays uh, were over in um, Mount Charles, where my dad's from in Donegal, and I spent every summer there. So I loved, I have so many fun memories of being there every summer. And um, I try and go every year, go back there. So you are chilling and training with Eve McChrystal at the moment, who is uh, yeah. based up in Dundalk. Yeah, she's not chilling. <laughs> <laughs> she is at the moment. There's no chilling, but she comes to Dundalk. <laughs> Katie came over a couple of days ago, was pre-planned, and then I think the coronavirus is after hitting us hard, but um, I wasn't letting her go 
go home. I said, you're here now. So uh, we'll, we'll just train that a wee bit harder. So, um, yeah, we're here for, I think she's, Katie's over now for two weeks, but she might be here longer now. <laughs> for our listeners who, who may not be aware, um, Katie, talk to me about how you ended up going blind and becoming a para-athlete. Yes, yeah, so I've got an eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And um, I'm not completely blind. Um, I've got some vision, but I'm not. I haven't got enough sight to to race a solo, ride a solo on my bike. So that's why I'm on the back of the tandem. I was diagnosed at the age of 11, actually, just um, a routine eye test. Um, I wore glasses from the age of five, and they um, noticed that I had this eye condition and told my parents. And I went to uh, eye hospital, and they confirmed that I had that condition. And I could lose my sight. It's been quite stable. Um, my sight hasn't gone down a considerable amount, and so it's quite stable, which is which is good. But um, it is it is one of those things where it could it can go quickly. It could I could lose my sight, but it's just you know you you adapt to things, and um, I make the most of what I have, and I don't let it stop me, and never have, never will. So really, rather than saying that you're blind, you're you're more visually impaired, Katie. Would that be the correct terminology yeah. to use? That's right. Yeah, that would be it. Would you always have been sporty right up to, you know, when you were 11? You know, did it have a huge impact on your life at the time? I was I was really active as a child and my family are, my sisters. I was very active. And when I was diagnosed, I actually, my parents moved me to another school, a school, a special school for visually impaired and blind. And for me, the change, I didn't want to go. Um, I rebelled against it, but I, it it, en- it ended up being the best thing for me. I got involved in sports when I was a teenager through GCSEs and A levels, and um, I got coaching and encouragement to do sport. And I found it was something that I absolutely loved, and it helped my confidence. I was quite a, an unconfident child, had low self esteem, so that sport really helped me um, gain confidence and it's something that I loved and I just threw myself into and um, I did many sports when I was a child. Wow throwing yourself into it and look where you are now world champion cyclist Rio medalist a gold medalist time trial um, road racing you name it you've got it in terms of paracycling yourself and Eve together what a duo did you ever think back when you were a youngster, when you were doing all that sport, that you would be, I suppose, thrown into the spotlight in sport 20 years later? Never. I, You know, I did sport and I loved it, but I never, and and I was kind of aware of the Paralympics, 90, I think it was 92 Barcelona. I think that was the first time I was really into the Olympics and the Paralympics and I was aware of it, but never in my wildest dreams did I think that I'd be this successful and find, you know, when I was, when I did start the cycling to find a pilot who I could be successful with, I never, I never thought that, but I, you know, when I did start the cycling, I, I wanted it and I, I was really um, determined to try and get there. So then Eve, where does your story begin with um, paracycling? Because I know you've done triathlon, you've done Ironman, but really the cycling has also propelled you uh, onto the world stage as a female athlete. Yeah, absolutely. I am. Um competed in or took part I say in two Ironman in 2007 and 2010 and after that I think you know I had two children then a daughter in 2008 and 2010 and after that then I suppose my time was limited and I was always just stronger on the bike than the other two disciplines good enough swimmer I can hold my own in, in the water but 
running I just wasn't um, great at. I just got through it, so to speak, but I enjoyed every bit of it. But I think I just had to pick then when the kids came, you know, what am I going to do? And cycling was just where I was stronger. The national championships were in Carlingford in 2013, was it, Katie? 2013. And I got a silver medal in the time trial so that was my first medal at a national championships so I was delighted with it and I think on the back of that the paracycling coach then and still is was Neil Delahay and um, he approached me and actually my brother at the time and the both of us tried out for a spot on the tandem because Katie had just lost her pilot her pilot had um, left after London 2012 so there was no pilot for Katie and they asked me to try out for it and I got the seat and we haven't looked back since. It's incredible really to think about it, how a decision to go and try something and to do so well in the the championships can result in you having now gone to the Olympics. Absolutely. Like as Katie said, she never thought in her wildest dreams, neither did I. Now her introduction to Paralympics, obviously because, you know, of her disability was, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. So for me, it was all brand new, but it was so exciting at the same time. And when I just got a taste of it, and when myself and Katie got on the bike, we met in Swords. I'll never forget it. Um, our first ride together, Katie was staying with her auntie and her uncle in Swords. And Neil um, came with us and I hopped on a tandem. I'm sure I hadn't a clue what I was doing and all the roundabouts in Swords in Dublin. And we just got on with it, really, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just we just got on really well in the bike. And I think, you know, that inner drive in both of us to succeed was equal. You know, there wasn't one wanted it more than the other. You know, two of us wanted the same thing. And then when we started getting a taste for success, it really became a habit then, didn't it? And you're just always striving to get more out of yourself. And I think we never sat in our laurels when we got our first gold medal. It nearly pushed us more. We we're like, well, we need to get faster. You know, so how are we going to get faster? And the two of us were just always on the same page with that one. There was we were never pulling against each other. And I think that has always stood to both of us as athletes and as a, as a team. And of course, you've just broken your own national record at the World Championships in January. You were just announced this week, I think, as the Irish Times Sport Ireland uh, Athletes of the Month. Yeah, we yeah, got that. January, that's right. Yeah. yeah, for January is the Irish Times Sport Star uh, the Month. Yeah, that's, that's a great day. I love that day. It's in the Shelburne, you kind of get to meet all your yeah. heroes you know there that, that, that day so yeah we got that at the track um that was a major um major major step up for us to be honest in all our years of cycling to kind of it was um a medal that eluded us both and really <laughs> annoyed us we knew that we had the strength to get it but I think the because we don't have a velodrome in Ireland it was very difficult for us to be up against nations that have velodrome but then we made the most of it and it just, as they say, clicked on the day for both of us and we put a lot of work in strength-wise and um, we just, we got it. So it's kind of pushed us on now. And you of know, course, you, you compete over both the time trial and the road racing. So I imagine there's very different uh, types of training to be completed for each competition. Yeah, so we have the track where it's three kilometres, which is a three and a half minute race. And then you have the time trial on the road, which could be say 40 minutes, 30 kilometres, and then the, the road race to two hours, two and a half hours, which is 80 kilometres. So we're training for the track, which is short and hard. And then you have the the road, where you, the road racing, you have sprinting elements to it, attacking, and then you have the time trial, which is a long sustained effort, hard effort, high power. So we're having to um, 
trained for everything, especially coming up to Tokyo. We have the track first, and then two days later, we have the time trials. We're doing three and a half minute race, and then two days later, you know, 40 minute race. So it's, um, we have to train um, all systems, and, you know, we have to get that base aerobic fitness as, as high as as big as we can, and so we can work on all the other elements. And of course, Katie, you're based in the UK and Eve is based in Ireland. So how do you manage your training? I know you're over for a couple of weeks now with Eve on a, on a weekly basis or a daily basis. You know, are you guys in touch with each other every day or are you following the same programme each? Or how does that work with regards to your training? We have a, a training programme from our coach and he would kind of tailor our training around our kind of life. But it, it would be we would do similar sessions in preparation for races coming up. And then, um, you know, I'd do a lot of my training indoors on the turbo. I, I wouldn't be able to get out much. Um, Eve does a lot of work on the turbo as well. So, you know, that time together is important, hence why I'm over now. And I will be back on board throughout the summer. If we're not away on camp, I will be over here training um, on the bike with Eve. And, yeah, we'll stay in touch and just um, work hard with the pair of us and uh yeah, keep in contact. So. How important is it that you have a very strong bond and a strong relationship as a duo on the bike? Like it is important because like the two of you are together, you know, all of the time. You know, like we're after you know four hours on the bike and you can chat away and you know we know each other so well now at this stage and it's just it's a team and like we just get on. Like you do have your ups and downs and there's times. I remember Katie there one of the years had an injury and that was very difficult for Katie psychologically to kind of get through that but then I remember I messaged her and said I'm just going to work that bit harder so at least I can take on a bit more if you're not able when you come back and I think it's you know knowing where each other is whatever we're doing that we just we just respect each other so much as people and as athletes and we just get on we get on with it and as I said at the beginning we just have the same goal and you're always striving you know for that all the time and kind of respecting each other too you know. Do you motivate each other? Yeah motivated yeah for sure Um, you know you I, you know, I see the drive in Eve and can hear it from her and that even just not necessarily, not necessarily directly motivating, that is motivating because that's, that's what I'm like as well. So it's good to, to have that. And, you know, I, I'm in the UK and she's here and I know she's training hard and I'm doing the same. I'm not kind of ever going, oh, I wonder if Eve's training or whatever, you know, <laughs> like I know she is and she knows that I am. And that's a real drive and that's a real, that's kind of motivation in itself. I was like, if I get a session and it's like absolutely awful, you know, I will, like we did it last week, I had a horrible session and I, I find it so difficult to get through it. And I messaged Katie after, I'm like, did you have to do this? It was so bad. I was like, why was I given this? And then she said, I had it last week. I said, Jesus, the two of us like were so mad with Neil at the same time. I'm like, no one, you know, that the, there was a reason behind it. But, um, you know, we kind of, I know when I'm doing it that she's going to have to do it. So you go, you know, you're kind of pushing each, pushing each other all of the time, you know. In terms of um, feeling the pressure, how do you deal with like you? You two ladies are at the pinnacle of the sport now. You're you've a target on your back every time you go into competition. You've a target on each of your backs. So how do you deal with that? There's a bit. I don't know. I think there's a bit of expectation there and pressure, such, but. I don't know. I think you just have to, I just take one day at, at a time. When, when it comes to the racing, just focus on the race and just get it all out. And of course, you want to do well and you want to win a medal again and it to be a good race and everything. But, you know, it's, it doesn't yeah. always work that way and it will, will be, will be, as that says. So it's just, yeah. You know, I would kind of just, you know, we'll have a brief after, like we lost the road race last year by just, you know, half a wheel and 
you know, that was disappointing, like it was, of course. But we're very good at thinking, picking ourselves up after it because at the end of the day, even though it is so important for both of us, we do know what both of us have achieved at the same time. And you just have to look at, you know, the bigger picture and you learn from those mistakes. We know why we lost that. We'll, we'll never do that again. And I think you learn so much more from your bad races than you do from your good ones. So it's really good, I think, sometimes for them to be thrown in there. Just maybe not for the, the Paralympics, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we get all those mistakes done. But, uh, you know, you can't be on top all of the time. And people only see those medals. But the work that goes on behind each of those medals is absolutely massive and it's just not physical it's mental it's emotional it's all our lives six days a week and we love it though too at the same time we wouldn't do it if we didn't both of us absolutely love riding our bike and I think that's what's most important so how do you fit in all of your training and the commitment to each other and to your bike and to you know achieving as much as you can uh, on the bike how do you balance that with just general life yeah, that is probably the only difference between myself and Katie is our off the bike stuff. You know, so when Katie's at home, she trains and she, she is able to recover really well and she is good at recovery. I am absolutely useless. It's because I do have two children and always on my feet, but I just think my body's got so used to that. Sometimes when, when I sit down, I'm, I'm worse. I genuinely believe that I'm worse when I just take too much recovery but um it is busy look in October I had to make um the decision you know whether I'm going to keep on working or I'm going to stop and focus everything for Tokyo and I spoke to my coach about it and we both decided look you're not going to get the best out of yourself do you want to go 100% ready or 80% and like it was an easy it was an easy answer you know I had to step back but I wouldn't have been able to do that only for Sport Ireland for funding I wouldn't you know so I needed that funding and the medal that we got in 2019 enabled me to do that because I can take time off work and still have money coming in you know with the kids and they have their own busy lives but we manage it I've um I have the WAP bike in the kitchen and I train an awful lot indoors as well as Katie does so we're very similar that way how do you fuel for the sessions and for your recovery are you on special nutrition plans from your coach that's like part of what we do, you know, well, on the bike, but off the bike. So, Eve's, you know, she's a busy mum and that, that off the bike stuff's really important and that the food part is a big part of it. And, yeah, we, ha- we have to eat an awful lot. And we have got nutritionists um, from the Institute of Sport um, if we need, you know, advice and support. And I, I, I'm having a bit of that at the moment just to make sure I'm getting enough in because, you know, if you're not, it can really lead to like fatigue but illness injury so it's really important to keep that up but that's one good thing about uh, the training we do we can eat an awful lot but it actually can be quite difficult as well because you have to get in like today would be four to five thousand calories so a good way of getting that in with drinks smoothies and recovery drinks as well as food so it can be quite difficult but um can be a perk as well (laughs) what is your go-to food katie what is eve after cooking for you today well, actually, yeah, I don't know. Um, we're going to have mince, I think, later. Yeah. But our go-to food, both of us, would be porridge, oats. And you can add a number of different things to that to make it you know, any way you want. But, um, yeah, it's quick, it's easy, and, uh, yeah, it's really tasty. So you guys did, uh, what, 130k ride today. So what did you fuel with? Snickers. I guess every hour. We just, we drink every 20 minutes. We eat every hour, and that is religious. Every, the minute we can like we just drink yeah 
we drink before we're thirsty, we eat before we're hungry, and yeah. that's just because, a rule that we've been doing for years. Yeah, that first hour, you know, even if you don't feel hungry, you have to get food in because if you don't, it can pain. You know, you can feel it in the last hour or the next or the next day or the next day or the next week. Yeah, so it's really important to just fuel throughout the day during the ride, but also on your days off, you have to get as much food in. I do. I do think, and I have seen athletes and. I don't mean to say especially women, but they just don't eat enough. You just have to be so conscious of eating and there's nothing wrong with eating and we're good at it and we do it. And I think, you know, when you are expected by your coach to go out and ride the bike for four hours or tomorrow, go out and ride it for five hours, you're eating for the next day. So today we'll make sure that we'll refuel ready. We're getting ready for tomorrow. We're getting ready for Wednesday, for hard session Thursday. We're getting ready for Thursday. So we're always conscious of, of what's coming up, you know, so... But I think that's habit now. We don't nearly have to think, do we? You know, we don't have to think about that. It's just, it's habit, it's our life. And that's what we do. And thankfully, we're, we're in a position that we can do that, you know. So when you're not on the bike, ladies, what do you enjoy doing? Oh, God. Sleeping. Yeah. I like sleeping. Katie <laughs> would sleep for Ireland. Like, no joke. Yeah. She's the best sleeper. You don't do that again, um, No. No, you're not allowed to, you know, you shouldn't be on your feet too long, walking yeah. around too much. So I like, I like going to the cinema and yeah. music, but it doesn't happen very often. Maybe cinema, but just meet your friends for a coffee. But mm-hmm. well, I just we have to sacrifice a lot and kind of not do a lot of things that we probably would like to do, um, because of what we because of what we do. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, it's not forever. So and I'm just so busy with the kids out there. Both of them mm-hmm. are into horse riding and. My youngest plays Gaelic, so, you know, if I'm not on the bike, I'm running there, um, here, there and everywhere. And then I think by the time eight o'clock comes, I'm in my pyjamas. Nothing <laughs> too exciting past that, really, but, um, yeah, it's great. You wouldn't have it any other way? No, not, not now. I think that might change after Tokyo and your, your life will shift again. But at the minute, our goal is Tokyo and we're going to try and get there in the best possible shape that we can fit as we possibly can because the... The course in Tokyo, we need to be really fit. That's the goal. That's the goal. It's only six months away and everything really, you know, has to take a, a back seat. And so, you know, sport is selfish and w- what we do is kind of selfish in a way because we're thinking about ourselves and what well, Eve's thinking about the kids, but I'm not really thinking about myself. Yeah, my family and friends, but I'm really thinking about the goal that's in sight and doing everything possible to get myself as fit as possible and strong as possible. And that's for the next five, six months. And of course, we are in the midst of a very serious situation with COVID-19. There's a lot of uncertainty across our daily lives generally. But for athletes and for the likes of yourselves who are, are looking to Tokyo, it must be very hard to not get worried that it may get moved. I suppose it's really in the last 48 hours, things have ramped up. And I think if everybody just does the best that they can, you know, themselves, and hopefully that it will be okay. But, but you know something, like... If Tokyo doesn't happen, it doesn't happen if it's pushed on to next year. Like that, that's it. That's life. We can't think too much about it. We're still going to carry on as normal as in training, whether that be indoors, you know, or outdoors if we're allowed to go out, you know, on the tandem. If we have to train indoors, we'll train indoors. We probably will hunker down there for the next couple of weeks. It'll be sleep, train, eat, repeat. And the kids aren't really allowed outside either. So it really will be um, a fun couple of weeks. 
get a training camp in Dundalk. <laughs> That's what I was just about to say. Will there be a training camp in Dundalk? But I also want to mention what yourself and Brian were doing, Eve, because you do mention the kids. And, you know, aside from COVID-19 and, and the sanctions we have at the moment, you had started a great initiative. Yeah, it's really good. We opened a couple of fields up in at our home. We live, um, we're from Jenkinstown in between Dundalk and the borders. You know, the location is is really good, you know, and we opened a few fields for cyclocross. It's brilliant, yeah, since Stephen's was staying. There was plenty of kids out over Christmas and then every Saturday it was open from 10 to 12. Now that's closed this week just because of um, what's going on at the minute in the world. But yeah, hopefully it'll pick up and it's just a great facility for children to come out and get on their bikes. And look, you know, it, it's the next generation really, isn't it? Hopefully it will, it, it will pick up from there. Talk to me about your support networks and the people who are supporting you on this journey to Tokyo across your families and your coaches and things like that. Because, you know, there's the two of you together, which are obviously very close knit and a lot of respect and trust and a bit of inspiration between the two of you from each other. Um, but Talk to me about the people who are outside your little bubble of Katie and Eve. Yeah, so um, my family would be a big influence on me and support my parents and my five sisters. And um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be even doing the sport at this level if it wasn't for them and the support of my parents um, when I was a child. And then, um, yeah, I've got my coach and Eve, really. They're the, they're the kind of main main support network that I have yeah and then for me like obviously my family um you know my brother's massive um sporting wise so it's great and our coach is just he, he's he's amazing for the two of us you know and in every way you know coaching is, is not just telling you what to do on the bike I think he's great great go-to person for both of us so and then my kids just motivate me like I want them to kind of I want to succeed for them you know for them just to see you know and all this work that mum's doing in the kitchen, you know, you know, it kind of it, it works out and at, at the end of the day. So yeah, my family's massive. I think your family is just so important, really, for for every athlete, you know. Are you proud of what you've achieved, girls? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very proud. Yeah. And I, I love, and also my family are proud as well, and I love making them proud. But yeah, I'm very proud of what we've done. Yeah, because we know how hard the, the work that we put in. Not everybody would know that what we do. But the work that we put in, you know, to get our medals, I think we know what, what we do. And, you know, you don't always need the applaud of a nation of people. I think if you're able to applaud yourself and be happy with what you've done, I think it's great in both of us. Like, I'm so, always so proud of Katie. Like, and I know she is of me. And just when we're on the bike, you know, even if especially, I think, in a time trial, if there's like five kilometres left and you're looking at your watch, it's like, oh my God, I'm actually going to die. And you just don't die because you won't because I'm never going to let her down. And I know she's the same. You know, she's like, I'm not going to take my foot off the gas because then she's letting me down and vice versa. And it's great to have that person on the bike when you're just in dire straits, completely in the red, that you've, you've somebody to fall back on. And then in a road race, I think you're like, I hope she has something left because I'm absolutely dying. So it's like, you know, how you feel? I know I'm grand, all good, Jesus. So it's kind of, it's, it's great. You know, I do much prefer to be at the time than I, than I do on my own in the bike, you know. It's great. I love it. Talk to me about the 48 hours or 24 hours even before a big race. So before that World Championships in January, what did that 24 hours before you went on the start line, what did that entail? Yeah, I think at that stage, you're, starting to think about the racing it's in your mind a bit more than it has been and you you're doing everything you can to 
be as fresh as you can. And, you do, you know, un, un, until that point, you're probably there four or five days beforehand. You're on the track and you're just doing all the training schedules. But there's that 24 hours beforehand you're actually thinking of the race then. And, yeah, I start to get a bit nervous. But I find that the nerves I have actually help me, especially on the race day. It's about controlling those nerves. And then you, you would have a, a meeting with the with our coach, Neil, the night before usually and just talking through the gearing and the race protocol you know just in terms of what we're going to do in warm-up going through it all and then actually how to deliver the race itself and um yeah I sometimes then can't wait to get to get the race over with yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's those last 24 hours that kind of sometimes drag and you're kind of going oh let's just get on the warm-up once you're in the warm-up you're like oh yeah it's you know it's going to happen soon you're in the zone and you just go through process. It's the preparation that's important. And you just go through the process that you've done over and over again. And, you know, you're doing the same. And we did warm up and then it's on the start gate. And you just do what you've done before, what you've spoke through. And you don't complicate it too much. You know, it's keeping it simple and just giving all you can. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Is there much chatting between yourselves and the other teams? You know, or, or do you very much keep to yourselves? No, we keep we keep to ourselves. Like you're in the pits, I think, for the velodrome. So you're kind of you're in your own pit. You're in your own head too. And we we wouldn't really be speaking beforehand. Maybe afterwards, but um, no, not really. No, we kind of we speak to each other. We speak to our coach and then our own teammates. And we have another girl, um, Rochelle Timothy, is with us. And now we have a girl last year, this year. So it's great. The three of us usually share rooms. So we're camaraderie there and a bit of fun at the same time. But when we get into the pits for the warm up, it's just like routine. Same again, same again. You just, you know, your nutrition, you know what time to take it. You just have, you know, a checklist of what time to do it. You do it at that time and you just get on with it. And it's over before you know it. Just like the race, I imagine over before you know it. So what was it like crossing the finish? And I'm going to come back to that January race because it was, you know, it was a national record as well for you in January. Like, what was it like crossing that finish line? Yeah, it was great. So on the velodrome, you get every lap, you get splits. So our coach would have told us every single lap what our time was and we had an agreed time. And I think the two of us, I don't you hear, sometimes... Katie can't hear Neil when he shouts, but I could hear every lap, you know, that we were on target and that, that just gives you that bit of drive as well. So I knew we did a good ride. Didn't think we did as good as we did. But um, when I looked up, I could see it. But it just took me about 30 seconds to even tell Katie because I couldn't breathe because she can't see the board. You know, when I told her, I was like, oh, my God, we did it. But we didn't know where that had left us because we had to wait for the British and the Belgian pairing to do their ride to see if we we're in the gold-silver uh, write-off, which we've never been in before. We've been in the bronze write-off before, but we've never been in gold-silver. So to be in the gold-silver write-off, that was our gold medal because the pressure is off. You're guaranteed a silver medal. I don't know whether we knew it was in us. Our coach was like, it's in you. We're, our target is 3.27. And I think the two of us were in the room going, let's just go faster than what we did before, which was 3.30. I said, look, Katie, if we do a 3.29, isn't that amazing? And she was like, yeah, it is. You know, once you go faster than you've gone before, it's always a good day. But he had said 3.27, this is what you got to do. We need to hit these splits every lap. And we literally just did what he told us to do. <laughs> and then we got 3.27. Yeah, so, yeah, we're good, we're good like that, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know what? It just worked out in the day. When, it, when that happens, it's a good day. Yeah, so that was a really good day. 
it's funny you say it all worked out on the day, but what we don't see is all of the work and the commitment that you've put in behind the scenes to get to that point, to cross the line in that position in that time. Yeah, I think the camp before that, we went to Mallorca um, just with the kids. I, I couldn't do the full camp. So I would die for four or five days and I flew home. But within those four and five days, we didn't get a dress rehearsal. And that just played in my mind. So when I came home, I just, I rang um, our coach and I said, look, can I come back? If if I'm able to come back in a couple of days, can I do that dress rehearsal? And he's like, you know, being mad I said no I need to get it done so I came home for a couple of days I was sick actually when I came home I, I struggled a bit with them my asthma in the velodrome and I came back and I just stayed literally in New York for about 48 hours to do the dress rehearsal and went home again so yeah people don't get to see that you don't see you kind of home and back and paid for with their dad for those 48 hours so it just enabled me to to fly back and, and do that you know it did put me in, in a bit of a hole after that to be honest with you I wasn't on top of my health for for that and we just had to deal with it and yeah there's a lot of work and a lot a lot of sacrifice that goes into it but it, it is worth it in tokyo potentially yourself and brian will both race as pilots or for a tandem race that's yeah. absolutely incredible yeah. yeah it's pretty cool yeah um and he said he was he was doing the tandem with with stanica i was like yeah absolutely go for it yeah hopefully Hopefully they'll get there. Yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if if the two of us got to Tokyo as pilots? You know, he, he really enjoys it as well. You know, I think we've we've um, engines. I think so. Um, I think we're we're, we're good pilots. <laughs> very very strong. It must be in the genes, Eve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of our listeners will be very inspired by what they hear in this show. But I'd love to know who inspires you. Who inspires you, Katie, to to keep going, to keep chasing, to keep going for gold, going for a record, and and being the best that you can be. And the same question to you, Eve. Yeah, I find that quite difficult. I don't have really anyone that inspires me, but. You know, just there are there are sports people out there that do do inspire me, especially particular ones that have um you know, they've they've been knocked down so many times and they just keep going and they keep going year after year after year after a lot of setbacks, um, for sure, and ones that have gone through real really tough times and they they they're very inspiring for me. And, and you know, my family are very inspiring and the kids and the family and I just everyone inspires me, so I just try and make them proud. Yeah, I think I think for me, like um, I think growing up watching my brother succeed in sport was just massively inspiring for me. And then when I started doing it myself, and then I had the kids, you kind of, you know, you watch them, and you just it, they definitely make me work that bit harder. And then, but I think especially for me, it's it's the work that Neil puts into both of us. That, like I'm just devastated if things don't work out because he just feels so bad because of the amount of work that he puts in and I think our coaches don't get the recognition that they deserve because really and I always said that we we've the easiest job we're just told what to do we do it yeah I think I think the people close to us which be for me would be you know my family and our coach and then Katie inspires me every single day do you know when we're on the bike you know even today she hasn't done a long spin outside since the summer and then all of a sudden on the bike did four hours and no problem so I think we inspire each other too really yeah 
Yeah. Katie, if you um, were to give any advice to somebody coming up through the ranks who maybe is listening, who may have a visual impairment or may have a disability, um, but who wants to get involved in sport or, you know, is looking up to you as, a, as an inspiration, what would you say to them um, about how they can start their sporting journey or what advice would you give them? And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't believe that they can do everything that they want to do. So what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe listening and, and is, is thinking about taking up a sport or pushing outside their comfort zone slightly, but maybe afraid to do so? I, I would say don't, don't you know, let their disability stop them. Um, there's always help out there, support about asking for it. And if they want to do something, there's always a way of, of doing it. And, and don't let their disability stop them, you know just yeah just go for it if there's something they want to achieve you know they can I was you know you just as that positive mindset and um and adapting to things it's always it always can be adapted but there's always a way it can be worked around and you can achieve and anything you want to whether it's sports or anything else yeah yeah I think it's important to have that positive resilience as well and considering the uncertainty around everything at the moment both in sport and in life you know with with the pandemic that is is out there now and hopefully when we listen back to this show in five years time we'll have all come through it unscathed and you'll be coming home with your gold medals from Tokyo um it's important to be resilient every day we have to be resilient with what we do yeah you know and just in resilient in life and I think you know the kids are growing up you know you're trying to instill resilience in them and there's nothing you can do, you know, without your control and you can only control controllables. And if that's just yourself, well then control yourself. And there's no point just letting things get in on you. Well, that, that's the way I kind of operate. I don't stress out too much and I just try and control what I can. And hopefully if we all do our bit, it, it will, you know, work out in the end, you know, and just always just be the best version of yourself. And you'll never regret trying something, but you'll always regret not trying. Like, I never want to go through life going, oh, I should have, should have done that. You know, if you do it and fail, well, at least you tried. And you might do it and succeed. So you never know. Huge thanks to Eve and Katie for joining me on the show. I have no doubt they will readjust, reset and refocus their energies. And we can expect impressive results from these incredible female athletes in the months to come. Eve is a guest on a previous show we recorded with Trat on Ireland on women in sport. You can check that out on all podcast platforms or on the website Try Talking Sport. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It's very strange times we are living in. Please mind yourselves as we navigate through the next few weeks. And remember, we can only control the controllables and how we react to things around us. Feel free to get in touch with me directly. If you fancy a chat or just a positive vibe, stay safe, be kind. Until next time.